following message is from Narrative Church, a Lutheran church located in Williamson County, Texas. For more information, go to www.narrative.church. Let's begin with prayer as we get into the Word of God. Lord, we give you thanks that we get to sit and be here and listen to your word. Lord, may the ancient stories still hold true for us today. May you change our hearts and work in us through this time. In your son Jesus' name, amen. So the scripture this morning is from the book of Judges. To give you a little bit of background of what's happening is after the Exodus, Moses leads the people of Israel out of slavery towards the promised land, well, Moses is not the leader to take them into the promised land. That is his second in command, a man named Joshua. Well, Joshua gets them into the promised land, but God has been very specific. He's like, listen, right now is not the time to intermingle because all the people around you are going to try and draw you towards them and away from me. And in fact, he says, listen, you don't need a king because every other nation has one. You don't need one because I will be your king. So don't ask for one, you're good. In fact, what I will do is when the nation is in trouble, I will raise up someone, I will call them a judge. And this judge will come to bring my justice to the land, to watch over others, to keep an eye on the people. And so the book of Judges is this group of people that, after Joshua, before the Israelites then finally get a king because God goes, fine, watch what happens now. These judges are brought up by God to defend his people and to watch over them. And one of the most famous stories in the book of Judges is of a man called Gideon. And Gideon comes along as the Midianites, one of the other tribes that had inhabited the promised land, is pushing in on the people, so much so that they are erecting the temples of other gods within their midst. And so this is what happens. There is a call given to Joshua. So Israel has been invaded, uh, pushed upon by the Midianites, and God says this, Judges 6, 11 through 12. Now the angel of the Lord came up came and sat under the terebinth at Oprah, which belonged to Joash the Abyssalite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared and said to him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. What a great moment. Here the angel of the Lord shows up while Gideon is hiding, threshing his wheat, so for those of you who aren't farmers like me, threshing wheat, what he's doing, he's separating the grain from the tares, from the things that, you know, the, the stock and all those things. And he's doing it inside of a wine press to stay hidden, that he throws up the wheat, the wheat heavy enough drops down, everything else blows away, but he's doing it in the wine press so he cannot be seen, so that his grain will not be taken by the Midianites. So the angel of the Lord shows up, says, hey, O mighty man of valor, 
Listen, how incredible would that be if the angel of the Lord showed up while you were washing the dishes and was like, almighty man of valor, almighty woman of valor. I'm going, all right, hey, I didn't say that. That was the angel of the Lord said that to me, right? I would be telling all my friends, I'd be like, listen, what's up? Listen, God showed up, called me a mighty man of valor. Try that on for size. But what's funny is Gideon hears that and immediately his response is to be like, listen, I hear what you're saying, but remember when you brought us out of Egypt and then you didn't do anything. So his first response to this messenger from God is not to say, wow, me? But he goes, remember when God brought us out of Egypt and then just didn't care about us anymore? Not quite the tack I'd hope I'd take. But here Gideon's response to him is saying, what have you done for me lately? Which we should have understood from the man who is hiding in a wine press to thresh his wheat. He's trying to stay away. And God responds, he goes, well, what do you think I'm doing here? This angel, he goes, why do you think I'm here? Why do you think I've shown up that you're going, well, what have you done for me lately? He goes, well, here I am. And this is the response in verse 14. The Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. Remember that phrase, do not I send you. Because the story of Gideon is a fascinating one. Because what happens is the angel of the Lord shows up, tells him, you mighty man of valor, I'm going to send you out. You're gonna do this. He responds again by saying, what have you done for me lately? And he goes, well, here I am. And aren't I the one sending you? And so what he does is he goes and in the town where he is from, a temple to Baal and to Asherah has been built in and amongst the people of Israel. Now, if we had three weeks that we were spending on Gideon, we'd get into the, how fascinating this idea of Baal and Asherah and how it all connects. Just know there's incredible connections and it's all happening right here in and amongst the people that this push against God is actually very specific to the types of gods that Baal and Asherah represented, to the sinfulness that they brought. So Gideon goes out with some of his ox and tears it all down. But what's great is he does it overnight. Why? Because he's still afraid that he hears God tell him, go and do this thing. He goes, perfect. And then he like looks around to make sure everyone's asleep and he goes, okay, now. And they go out and they tear all this down. But what's great is everyone in the village knows who it was. So Gideon starts his time as a judge in the middle of the night, tearing down this temple and this Asherah pole, which would have been a similar idea for Asherah. So Baal and Asherah, he destroys those things. And then that brings us to our reading from today, which is this story of the fleece. That now God has said, not only will you destroy the temples of Baal and Asherah, I need you to drive the Midianites from the land because they're no good for my people. And Gideon goes, 
Sure, Lord, now remember, this is a guy while threshing wheat saw the angel of the Lord show up to him, tell him, listen, I am sending you. And he goes, sweet, now I'm gonna lay this fleece out in the wine press and I'm gonna test you. So let's make the fleece wet and the grass around it dry. So he wakes up the next morning and I love when biblical authors are like, let's make sure you understand how wet this thing was. He could fill a bowl with the dew he squeezed from the fleece. This thing was drenched. And so Gideon goes, all right, Lord, I hear you. Now, if it's really you, let's do the reverse. And so the next morning he comes out, wakes up, the fleece is dry, everything around it is wet. Because for Gideon, he's trying to find a way out. So he sends out the call. He goes, okay, this is God. He sends out the call. The people of Israel gather. Now Gideon was probably feeling pretty good because he looked around. There are 32,000 fighting men who have gathered with him. And he goes, great. This is a good fighting force. And God goes, yeah, that's too many. And when was the last time when you thought about warfare and thought, mm, too many people in my army, just too many. But God goes, no, 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 that's, that's too many. So he says, tell anyone who doesn't want to fight, they can go home. And 22,000 of those 32,000 leave. So Gideon's left with 10,000, but he's left with 10,000 and he can kind of assure himself to go, okay, the people who were afraid are gone. These are the folks who wanna fight. These are the men who want to do business. We're ready to go. And God goes, this is still way too many. He goes, here's what I want you to do. Go down to the river and watch the men. They're gonna drink differently. The certain ones who drink like this can stay. Those who don't leave. The ultimate military test, how do you drink water? And of those 10,000, about 300 are left. And so here's Gideon, the man who was afraid in the wine press, who questioned the messenger of God, who took down the temples by night so he wouldn't be known, who tested the Lord again, who sees his army dwindle from 32,000 to 10,000 to 300. And then God says, you're not even gonna fight. What I want you to do is surround the encampment of the Midianites with your 300 men, light torches, but keep them under jars so the light cannot be seen and prepare trumpets. And at the time the Lord appointed, they broke the jars and all the torches lit up and they blew trumpets. And the Midianites were so afraid, they immediately were routed and they fled from the land. And so much so that then as they flee, God goes, okay, now you have permission to call out the rest of the nation to pursue them and push them out of the promised land. And so he does that. And what's incredibly fascinating is he pushes the Midianites out. He does it and immediately the people of Israel Instead of praising God, instead of saying, Gideon, you had 32,000 and 10,000, but with 300 men, you know, look at what the Lord did. Immediately, the people of Israel go, 
Gideon, you and your sons shall be our kings. And this is the moment where the story of Gideon catches because he looks and says, we will not be your kings. That finally, after all of this time, after walking through all of this with the Lord, he looks and he, he knows for sure who did the mighty work. And he says, we will not be your kings. And in fact, there are many people who will remember Gideon because they wanted him to be king. And he said, no. Oftentimes when we encounter this story of Gideon, there's a big focus on the mighty men of valor. Can we be those people of valor? <clears throat> Can we be those people of uprightness and righteousness? Can we be like Gideon? Listen, if you wanna be like Gideon, you need to be scared all the time. That's what's happening in this story. He becomes a mighty man. He doesn't start there. God puts that identity on him even though he does not possess it. And I love this story of Gideon because it would be easy to say, look at what Gideon does, let's hold him up. Instead of saying, look at what God did with a man who was afraid of everything. And the story of Gideon is often told as this great man of courage instead of a reluctant leader who God empowers. And I really resonate a whole lot more with the reluctant leader that God empowers. That as we look at this today, we see a couple of things that are really meaningful. The first thing is I want to pull out as we see this phrase, the angel of the Lord. So the way this would look in Hebrew is Malach Yahweh. So Malach being angel, messenger of Yahweh the Lord. When you see that phrase in scripture, take a step back because what we're seeing here is the pre-incarnate Christ. The word who becomes flesh was the messenger, the word to God's people before he took on flesh. And so here in this moment, you could compare this moment of this calling of Gideon to the people of God, almost to the calling of the disciples. Because here is the son showing up saying, listen, we need protection for the people because we could trick ourselves into believing that the purpose of the people of Israel is this long thing and we could get deep into it. But the simple answer is, the purpose of the nation and the people of Israel is that the Messiah would come from them. The protection and forgiveness given to the people of Israel in Judges were the phrase, every person did what was right in his or her own eyes, shows up over and over, is that we see not that God sent judges to destroy them, but he sent judges to protect them and bring them back. The judges are in the lines of the prophets that they come to protect and defend the people because the Messiah is coming. So here in this moment where we get this messenger, this angel of the Lord, the Malach Yahweh, we look and we say, the son is already at work. 
doing what he does. And as you keep going, you see that we have an outlook which blesses us, which is first we get the call of Gideon. And God says, do not I send you? Is it not me who sends you? How could there not be power in what you do because I've shown up to send you? The altars that he tears down happen in spite of his fears. Even though he does it at night, even though he is afraid, it happens because the Lord goads him forward. The fleece is the patience of God despite the hesitancy of Gideon. The fleece is less about how do we discern the will of God and much more about God going, I am with you even when you don't believe. Even when you are questioning, when you are struggling, I am right there with you. In the army of the 300, God displays his power. That he is the one who rules over all. He is the one who steps in. That it is even said when God speaks to Gideon and says, these are too many, he says, I don't want people to mistake who's doing this, even though they still do it. And then as we get to the point where the people want to make Gideon king, we see that he has finally understood who he is. He is the Lord's. He does not need to be king. He doesn't need the power, the riches, because he understands who is working these things. And so for us, there's a simple call in our lives that comes from Mark chapter 8, 34. And calling to the crowd, to himself and his disciples, this is Jesus, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And it seems impossible to take up our crosses and follow him. It seems unlikely. It seems improbable. And oftentimes I think of the question, but Lord, what have you done for me lately? What have you done so that, I, so that I could make this great sacrifice for you, right? We, we get lost in that kind of thinking. We test over and over. We try to find ways to discern God's will instead of hearing what he sent us out to do. And I think we live a lot of times in fear. We live in a place where we go, Lord, my own fear trumps your power. My own fear is greater than what you've said you can do. And so we live in that vein of Gideon. But God does not leave Gideon where he is. He brings him to a point where he can say, listen, this is all the Lord's. It's not mine. Matt and I spent a lot of time working at uh, 309 Coffee in Georgetown. And we've made a lot of friends there over the years. And one of them is a guy who actually works at the Austin Stone here in town. And he does a lot of content for them, a lot of writing. Um, his name's Jake. And Jake is just an incredible guy. 
And so when he lands in the coffee shop at the same time as us, we all kind of take a break. We catch up, you know, how are things going in your life with church, all those things. And at one point, I forget what I was sharing with him, but I remember just sharing something I was struggling with and trying to figure out as we went along. And he had this response to me that just blew my mind because I was sharing all these things I was struggling with. And it was kind of in that vein of fear and what has God done for me lately? And Jake looks at me and goes, you know, the spirit of the Lord lives in you, right? <laughs> like I got a degree in that. And he looks at me and he says that, and it was the shock to the system that I needed. How often do I forget that? So later in the day, I sent him a message. I said, hey man, I needed that word. Thank you so much. And this is what he responded to me. You have the spirit of the living God inside of you and he is more committed to your flourishing than you are. I just sat and digested that because how often do I fight against the spirit of God who is working in my life because I'm sitting there threshing in the wine press going, well, Lord, you know, I see your messenger and that's great, but like, remember when you saved the people from Egypt? Haven't seen you do that lately. And I forget that years ago on a cross, as Jesus died in the temple, the curtain was torn in two so that God stopped dwelling there, but instead dwells with his people. That in the gift of baptism, the spirit is in my life. And I think here I am doing it alone again. And here's this moment that I remembered the spirit of God living in me seeks my benefit my flourishing, my growth, my life more than I do? And how often do I sit there staring into the grain, into the wine press, pulling out my fleece, being worried who will see me instead of saying, you're right, Lord. You said, go. Because the benefit we have that Gideon didn't is that while the messenger of Yahweh showed up to him. For us, it is finished. That Messiah that Gideon defended the people of Israel for to come has come. We live in a time now where we look and we say, it is done. What have you done for me lately? Well, I took communion this morning. I confessed my sins and I was forgiven. And how often do I lose sight of every day when my feet hit the floor, I live as a child of God. That my identity does not need to be one of fear, does not need to be one based in what will others think of me, does not need to be based in how will we ever overcome this thing. But instead, when God said, take up your cross and follow me, he wasn't saying, hope you have a good time. I hope you can carry that thing. It looks heavy. No, when he says, take up your cross, he says, follow me because I am with you. That the calling placed upon our lives to love him and love others, that is the same as Gideon being sent to save the Midianites. So too, the calling on our lives or save Israel from the Midianites 
The calling on our lives is to love God and love others. And it seems impossible. It seems undoable until we step back and we remember that the spirit of the living God resides in us. That whatever fear, whatever trepidation, whatever test we have invented for God to do, we can step back and say, Lord, let me see that spirit and show me what you can do through me. Because our identity is not one of fear, is not one of the unknown. It is of a God who loved us so deeply that he sent his son for us. And so for me, this story of Gideon is a blessing, not because he was some mighty man, but because that's what God made him. That he didn't start there, but by the time the people want him to be king, and he could have reached out and taken it. He says, no, you don't understand. This is the Lord's. And so too, for me, I want to look in my life and say, Lord, take me out of my fear, my anxiety. Let me live in that identity. And that when people see your work in my life, it's not for my glory. It's because of what the cross has done for me. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for scriptures full of people who were weak, who needed you, and that we can see again and again the blessing that you gave to them. Lord, we look at Gideon and see his fear, the struggle he went through to do what you told him to do, but we can rejoice because it's not about Gideon, it's about you. That when you brought him through, he would not take a kingdom because he knew whose kingdom it was. Lord, too, in our lives, may we bear our crosses for the sake of your kingdom and be reminded again and again and again that we are not alone but that we are your people. Your son Jesus' name, amen.